Sidebar with Sydney Watson. Yeah, so I think, you know, this, this virus transmits through very close skin-to-skin physical contact, often in the setting of sexual exposure. But um, there are other mechanisms for its transmission, including if you touch objects that individuals who've had monkeypox touch, or if, um, if you have prolonged exposure to respiratory droplets. With that said, signaling to people um, who are in the gay, bisexual, other men who have sex with men communities, and also transgender people who have sex with men, that it's really important to have awareness that it's circulating in the community is really a critical part of the messaging while not generating um, you know, inordinate concern and really focusing on the infection as linked to an identity. So it's just an infection. It's not linked to an identity. It just happens to be in the social network. Thank you, sir. I, I do want to dig deeper into the racial disparity because it's growing. We sure. It's, a, I, it's actually kind of kind of fascinating. Um, I, I'm not highlighting this for any reasons of sexual orientation. Actually, monkeypox is what it is. The statistics will you know show show what they show. The way of um, the way of describing this, I found particularly interesting. People are harping on the men who have sex with other men, and I'm not. That's not the issue. The the, the comparison yeah. between the causes of transmission. So I think you know this this virus transmits through very close skin to skin physical contact, often in the setting of sexual exposure. But um, there are other mechanisms for its transmission, including if you touch objects that individuals who've had monkeypox touch, or if um, if you have prolonged exposure to respiratory droplets. It transmits from very close skin to skin contact, typically in the context of sexual activity. Fine, and it also can be transmitted through contact with objects fine when one puts both of those causes or potential causes of transmission together in the same sentence the question that i ask myself logically um in what proportion is it like 50 50 is it 60 40 is it 70 30 or is it like 95 percent to 5 percent or even more is it like 98 percent skin to skin potentially through contact of, of a sexual nature to 2% touching an object. And if it is, what's the purpose of adding that if it's statistically insignificant or statistically much less proportionate method of transmission? One could hypothesize as to why someone would throw that in as a means of transmission if it might actually represent a fraction of transmission. That's one thing. The second thing that I'm left wondering also is when they talk about it could be transmitted through touching an object. Individuals who've had monkeypox touch, or if, um, if you touch objects that individuals who've had monkeypox touch. When I was thinking about it as I was jogging, if you touched objects that an individual with monkeypox touched, are we talking again in, in the sexual setting? At first I was like, oh, okay, they're talking surface to surface transmission, much like they said about COVID in the beginning we later determined that that was not, it was not through surface contact that COVID was being transmitted. What's being described here, is it touching an object that another individual with monkey with monkeypox had touched? Is, are we still in the context of sexual activity? Are we talking about sharing objects? I mean, I, I'm again, social stigma, which, which this individual is trying to get away from, separate issue. We're just talking statistics and we're talking I guess science to some extent, although I, I don't know what this individual's scientific background is. What is the proportion of transmission 
from object touching versus skin to skin. And when we're talking about object touching, are we still talking about object touching in the context of sexual activity? Those are questions I have. Or if um, if you have prolonged exposure to respiratory droplets with that said, prolonged exposure to respiratory people, droplets, okay. Um, who are in the game? But who th the individual is Dimitri Deskalakis, and the one question I have is, I, I'm not being glib or facetious. Is he a is he a doctor? What's this? What's the individual's expertise? That um, yeah, I saw some of those pictures, and I'm not getting into that. President Biden announces team to lead monkeypox. He's a leading public health expert. This is from the, um, the White House. President Biden announces team to lead monkeypox response. What year? August, August 2nd, a month ago. Today, President Biden named FEMA's Robert Fenton as the White House National Monkeypox Response Coordinator and Mr. Dimitri, Dr. Dimitri. Sorry, I didn't mean to didn't mean to not respect the individual's expertise. Dr. Dimitri Daskalakis as the White House National Monkeypox Response Deputy Coordinator. Fenton and Daskalakis will lead the administration's strategy and operations to combat the current monkeypox outbreak, including equitably increasing the, abil the availability of tests, vaccinations, and treatment. What the heck does that mean? Equitably increasing the availability of tests. Okay. Fenton and Daskalakis have combined over four decades of experience. I'd like to know how that four decades is proportioned. Daskalakis looks pretty young. So I'm going to guess that Fenton is not so young. If I, if I had to guess here, Robert Fenton. So let's go ahead and see here. Let's just do this one by one, people. We're just going to go through this together. Robert Fenton. Governmental officer, it looks, he looks, if that's him, FEMA, this individual right here, Robert J. Fenton, Jr. That doesn't look too old anyhow. Uh, but you'll be seeing some, um, I mean, you'll be seeing some interesting photos that, that others have been sharing on this story. These are just questions that I have as, a, as an individual who asks the critical questions. Uh, when it sounds to me like when we're trying to like just say, oh, it's it's from sexual activity and also from touching objects, except it's like, you know, potentially disproportionately more from sexual activity, throwing in the qualifier uh, is, it doesn't seem like an, it might be an equitable way to deal with it or to address it, but it seems like a problematic way of describing it insofar as it doesn't adequately apportion the respective risks of transmission. Um, uh, do I want to show that picture? I don't want to show the picture. If you go to Twitter, you'll see some interesting pictures about uh, Descalapis. Uh, doctor doesn't mean doctor of medicine anymore for high. <laughs> well, I know that. I mean, I, I know that that's true as well. Uh, let me just go here. Just make sure everything's in order. I know that as well. But I, I, I watched that video and... Phrasing is very is very specific. It's very uh, important, and I, I hear phrasing there that that seems to attempt to minimize. And then they say we, we don't. Th these are the statistics, but we don't want to stigmatize anything. Look, fine. Nobody's stigmatizing anything. People just need to know the cause. Uh, they need to know the likelihood. They need to know the statistics so they can make educated adult decisions.
Okay, people. Uh, tonight, Sydney Watson. I've spent the day watching podcasts, watching uh, interviews, watching videos. It's going to be interesting. I think Sydney and I are going to have. Um, I said Sydney Watson, right? Not Sydney Poitier, because <laughs> very much, very much different. Uh, Sydney Watson. We're going to have a lot more in common than I think um, anybody could have possibly expected that we're going to have in common. It's going to be a good sidebar. Uh, but before we even get there, before we get there, let's just—we have time. I don't see anybody in the in the back office, in the backstage. Um, hold on. Okay, I don't see anyone in the backstage. But there's, there's another story that I want story that I want to get to just before we do this. GQ people, politicians these days—they're not just a privileged class. They're not just celebrities. Let me rephrase that. They're not just filthy wealthy living in another realm, dissociated from the people they are supposed to be representing. AOC, first of all, I thought GQ was a men's magazine, like a men's interest magazine. Not that... I don't even know where to start on this. I started reading the article. It's, it's, it's the rubbish of the highest order. AOC is on the cover of GQ airbrushed, modeled. I mean, this is, I said it before, you know, politicians uh, act like they're the new gods. They're acting like the new celebrities, like, like, like Oasis. I expect Liam and Noel Gallagher to be on the cover of GQ. They might've been, I don't know. Not, so, not politicians. Politicians are not the new celebrities, even though they act like it, they get paid like it, they dress like it, and they conduct themselves as though they're the new celebrities. But AOC, it's amazing. Oh. Just posing. It's 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 magnificent. It's look at this. It's beautiful. It's it's the new era of politics. I just had to like I, I perused through it and I'm looking. It's like oh look at beautiful earrings. Okay, good. Oh nice dress. Beautiful. Look power power shots. The power photos in front of the Capitol building. But there was one that caught my eye. This one. This jacket, people, and the and the. The color-coordinated boots. I don't think it's an accident that it looks like the Ukraine flag because, I mean, that, that's the world we're living in. Politics um, infiltrates everything. Are we looking at the same thing? Or oh, are you seeing the same picture that I'm seeing? Yeah, where, where'd the picture go? Here we go. I just had to, for the sake of it, look at that jacket because the credits are in the bottom of the article. That jacket, if anybody's wondering, costs $3,000. It's a very fancy, I had to look it up, Proen. Uh, That's the one. I can't see it. Whatever. It's the one. You'll have to take my word for it. Internet's acting up. $3,000 jacket. Only the best when fighting social justice. Um, all right, people. We're going to, uh, as, as is going to be the routine now, we're going to end this stream at some point in the near future. Bring it over exclusively to Rumble. I'm going to have to post the links when we get there. And now I see everybody in the chat. Remember to ask Sydney about her time living in D.C. I will when we get there. Geez, I forgot to put the link up. In the we're gonna get, we're gonna work through all these hiccups. I need to learn a new strategy, a new system. Sydney is the boss. I will be sure to let her know. And I see everyone in the backdrop, so I'm gonna bring in. I'm gonna start with. Let me see here. I'll start with Barnes. Robert, how goes the battle, sir? 
Good, good. I'm going to go with Sydney now, and then I'm going to rotate. Sydney, how are you doing? Let me fix my audio. There we go. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. This is going to be perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Glad that worked. Uh, okay, so we are on, people. Sydney, in about 10 minutes, we're, I'm going to just make an announcement that we're going to wind down on YouTube and move it over to Rumble. It will not affect anything that's going on here. Okay. Um, but let's... Okay, this is... I spent the day watching some videos. Some that I'd rather not have watched, I think, in terms of interviews and stuff, but others which were phenomenal. Uh, for those who may not know who you are, before we get into childhood memories and then getting to what you're doing now, which is amazing, 30,000-foot overview, elevator pitch for those who don't know. I am an Australian-American cultural political commentator who currently is very focused on, uh, I guess, the abuse of children. But I started off in the men's rights world and now have branched into how much I hate the erasure of women, how much I hate children being victimized. And yeah, that's, that's my general way of doing things. Is that good? Was that good? A good elevator pitch? It's it's very good. But I, okay. I think I, I I know it's rude, but I have to ask just to get a perspective for age and wisdom. Mm-hmm. What age bracket do you fit in? So I'm in my late twenties. Okay, that's what I. I I used to think it was a big secret, and then I don't know how people put it together. How actually old I am? The internet has aged me, though. Everyone else <laughs> thinks I'm in my thirties, and I go, "What are you all doing? Why are you prematurely aging me? Stop this! It's terrible." How did you uh, get into any of this commentary in the first place? So the the like long story short, basically, I made one video because I've all, I'd always wanted to talk about political commentary because in Australia, most people are pretty politically ambivalent. So finding people who thought similarly to me was really challenging. Uh, so I made one video. It happened to go viral on Facebook. And then I kind of just kept doing it from there. And then I ended up being picked up by Sky News Australia. I got to commentate for them, which was a lot of fun. Um, but again, I mean, like when you're with a population of, of Aussies who are just like, oh, yeah, it's it's sort of challenging to get on your feet, but people were really, really great. And uh, I kind of just, it just took on a life of its own. How long have you been in this field for? It hasn't been that long, right? Mm-mm. No, no. So it's been since been uh, early 2018 was kind of when I started. And it kind of, you know, the first two years were kind of challenging because like I said, I was still in Australia. And then when I moved, I really felt like things kind of took on a life of their own and they sort of just grow and expanded. Um, and I and I was actually thinking about this the other day. In a way, I'm sad that I've moved away from talking about Australian issues because I don't want to abandon the Aussies, but I don't know how much they care about them themselves anymore. So I'm kind of like, Ugh. at least Americans are into it, you know, like they're always very reared up and ready to go. So I like that about uh, the United States. Now, uh, were you born in Australia? Yeah. And any uh, siblings, and what did your parents do? So I am technically one of six, um, but I have, a, you know, I have a blended, complicated family. So my mom and dad met in the United States. My mom is from Ohio, and then she married my dad. My dad already had uh, four other children, and so, like I said, you know, we're kind of blended. There's my brother and me. We're full blood. Um, my parents, well, they started off as pilots. That's how they met. Um, my dad is a business owner back home and my mom, I guess has, she was a stay at home mom predominantly, but she also had her own businesses, um, for a period. And then she stepped back to help my dad in his business. And now she is a lady of leisure. I don't know if she'd appreciate me saying that. Sorry, mom, if you watch this. Where, where in Ohio was your mom from that the Aussie pilot seduced her? Oh, she's from Cleveland. So who's, who's to say what Cleveland men are like? But she met him in uh, New Jersey, I believe. 
Sydney, I'm an idiot. What's a woman of leisure? She just does what she wants. She just okay. gets to sort of float around, you know, in the ethers. I don't mean she's a prostitute or anything like that. <laughs> no, I don't. If, that's, if that that's... was... <laughs> That's what no. it sounded like. No, no, it just, I just—I wasn't sure if it was a, a, a term for a housewife, which, which I, which I had, I'd never heard before. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if she'd like me calling her a housewife, so I'm gonna go with lady of leisure. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna run with that. Uh, yeah. Whereabouts? Whereabouts in Australia did you grow up? So I grew up in Melbourne, which is um, this like a southern state. Um, that's, I guess, kind of, you know, well, Melbourne's not the state. Victoria is the state. Melbourne is the city. Um, and it was a lot of fun. I grew up sort of in the country or country adjacent on a big property and, and you know, got to ride horses and see cows doing what they do. It was, it was, it was honestly a really, really nice childhood that I had. Is there a difference in the Aussie accents depending on where you're from in Australia? I, I think it depends who you ask. I often get told that I don't sound very Australian, which I'm a little offended by, but I understand why the American has definitely creeped in. Um, I, I think it depends on if you're from the country or if you're from a big city like I am. Um, I watched a video actually recently that was explaining that there's a broad Aussie accent, which I don't have any of them, just to be clear. But there's a broad Aussie accent. There's sort of the posh, sophisticated one. And then there's the really rural country accent. And if it's to be fair with you, some of those people, I don't really know what they're saying because they speak really quickly and eat all their eat all their consonants. So, so born and raised in Australia and you left to America only in 2018. Uh, so I left to go to the United States mid 2019. Okay. Mm -hmm. Born and raised in Australia, so you're up to speed with all of the Australian issues. You left before the madness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got out just in time. But I, you see, the thing was, I kind of saw the writing on the wall for a lot of political stuff. I never thought that they would go as insane as they did. But I was like, wow, I just, this is not good. And again, like I said, because the population is reasonably politically ambivalent, it's sort of challenging to get people up in arms about things that might happen in the future if it's not happening to them at that exact moment. But I think COVID woke up a lot of Aussies because even now I talk to my friends who, you know, thought I was a crazy person three years ago and they're like, oh, wait a minute yeah she had a point so i i definitely think having the government overreach so significantly and so aggressively particularly where i'm from victoria went insane uh, i think people just turned around and were like yeah this is not good we cannot the, live like this victoria was under the um the, the watch of dictator dan right <laughs> yes yes dictator uh, dan i don't get well, i forget what his famous clip was about he's the one who says <laughs> i don't i don't give a damn about uh your if you don't want to get vaxxed if you take a position against the vax, you are anti-vax. Yeah. yeah, basically. And then I don't know if you guys saw, but um, the Victorian chief, chief health minister, I believe is what the title is. He said recently, basically that the, you know, the, the jabby jabs weren't doing what they should be doing. And so they kind of misled the population. And I just, it, it's insane to me that they're admitting this stuff now on video for us to watch and go, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what was your educational experience uh, in Australia? Public schools, private schools, university, et cetera? I went to um, primary school like normal Aussies do, and, and I think most of those are government subsidized. I suppose they're public schools. Um, so I went to a public primary school, and then from there I went to a – they call them independent schools uh, for high school. And that was – you know, my parents paid for that. And then for university, I went to the University of Melbourne and I got my undergrad in, I majored in criminology, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and then I did a master in journalism and I half finished <laughs> a, a, a language degree, but never got, I think I have two classes left to finish it. I don't know why I didn't do that. It's a bit stupid. I just dropped out in the end was like, yeah, no, thank you. I'm good. 
was it were they was the university you know the the, the wokeness that uh, we're experiencing in the United States a lot of mm-hmm. universities really didn't take off until about a decade ago or so but mm-hmm. what was it like in uh, at, at University of Melbourne well that's a good question because i think i mean it it was what like almost a decade or so since i've it's actually you know a little bit less than that since i've been in school i would say that it was starting to be infected with the the liberalism that we see a lot of in the United States, but I don't think Australians would ever be as bad as. Maybe today they might be, but at the time, I I don't think they were. I think that the general thing was that my undergrad degree was in a social science, and so people were a lot more forthcoming with these bizarre opinions that we see so commonplace today. So I probably got a fair helping of it. And then obviously I went to journalism like an idiot and got an even bigger helping of it. But I had friends who were in, you know, the sciences who were doing biomed and things like this, and they never ran into the same issues that I did. So I would say that, yeah, at the time it wasn't quite as bad, but now I think it's probably comparable to what you're seeing in the United States. You've got to remember, Australia is always a little bit behind in terms of the social opinions or the political opinions of the rest of the world. It's never quite as bad as, just because Australians do have that really laid-back attitude about a lot of things. Why do you think they went so nuts on COVID? Um, do you want the long answer or the short answer? Well, long answer is good. You know what? Before we get into the long answer, uh, I'm going to wind this down and we're going because this is where we're going to start getting into stuff. Uh, that's true. I'm going to wind it down on YouTube, people. And we can all carry it on over to Rumble. <laughs> the link is there. It's in the pinned comment. I'm just going to go. Now I've gotten the hang of this. I'm going to remove the YouTube link. Everyone on YouTube, Viva Fry on, you, on Rumble. And it's there. I'm not deleting. I'm just removing it. And we shall carry on. Let's on the go. Rumble. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's get into this. So, Sydney, mm-hmm. you, you left, though. You left in 2019. Yeah. Poo hits the fan in 2020. Yeah. You, you said you sort of saw the writing on the wall. And this is why I think, like, as a Canadian who's seen what happened in Canada happen, mm-hmm. people were telling me well before COVID, the writing was on the wall. You got these crazy laws getting passed. You got woke governments. And I didn't know what woke meant at the time. And then COVID came. Yeah. Government went off deep end and the people didn't seem to care. No. So how, how, I mean, I, I, it seems like it's analogous in Australia, but tell us how it happened. I think it's quite comparable to what you've probably seen in Canada. You have a a complacency and also a kindness. I think there's a real kindness in Aussies, Canadians, you know, the the over-apologizing for everything, for just virtually existing, I guess. And I think that when you have that sort of a populace, and Australia is, again, I come back to the fact that Australia is ambivalent. They're also very neutral. They're very mellow about a lot of things. So when you have a population like that, I think it leaves ample room for government to do things that, you know, people... In, in I guess Western countries that care um, have a problem with you know like that's why Americans look at it and they go what the heck whereas Aussies go well it's all right she'll be right she'll be fine even my own dad says oh she'll be right she'll be right to to a lesser extent now and also he's married to my mom who is certifiably in some ways a crazy person uh, <laughs> because she's she's seen all of this since day one and he's slowly cottoning on but my own dad who's been affected by this as a business owner is like nah she'll be right so I think that part of the, the biggest problem is that and you can probably relate to this with the, the Canadian side of things Australians value security over freedom And I think that that is the primary starting position for all of this is when you have a population that doesn't really care, that doesn't really know who's in charge, doesn't really know what their rights are, doesn't even think that they have rights or care about the rights that they have. And then you take a fear element. Well, of course, they're just going to say, yep, government, you do what you want. It's all for the good of the colony. 
that's basically my understanding of what went on. It's, it's funny. I, I, Robert, I, I've known Robert for a bit of time, I mean, mm -hmm. a long time now. And now I've seen the difference between the States and Canada. It's exactly it's, that. Canadians yeah. prefer security over freedom. Mm -hmm. even, if, even if it's actually not any more secure, they, they prefer the appearance of security of yes. over the fear of freedom. Yes. Um, Robert, sorry, you, you had a question. The, uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, that explains it good. But did you, uh, perchance, did you ever see the film The Falcon and the Snowman? No. It's about, it's, it's, uh, it's in the United States, but it actually has an Australian subcomponent about CIA interference in Australian politics, which is just, mm -hmm. it just, that your conversation just triggered it. The, uh, now, what led to you coming to the United States and the good fortune of escaping Australia uh, before? I mean, I think Lauren Southern got kind of trapped there when everything was happening. Oh, yeah. Uh, to your good fortune of getting out before the, the craziness descended. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, I'd done a lot of traveling uh, in my early 20s. So I'd seen a bit of the world and I'd sort oh, of. Where to? Uh, I've I've been to France. I backpacked around the UK for a little while, then kind of settled in London for a sec. Um, I, I've tried to do in as much stuff as I can. I've been to America a bunch of times before I moved. And so I guess I was sort of in this and viewpoint. Uh, Where in America? Um, so actually, I would say now I've probably been to over half the states. Um, wow. But I have, a, I have a lot of family. My mom is from a big Catholic family. So uh, Cleveland, yes. Ohio, yes. That yeah. It's like they just see what ethnicity per chance? Uh, Irish. Irish. Okay, so Irish, well, Irish Catholic. Irish, German, Polish. I guess is the, yeah. the well. American that's Cleveland side. in a nutshell. Irish, Irish, German, Polish. A little bit it's... of Ukrainian too, depending <laughs> where you're at. Yeah, I don't think we have any Ukrainian on my side, but I, you know, yeah, it's that's that's sort of like the makeup is everybody is Irish that's from Michigan, Ohio, like that general region. It's bizarre. I'm like, what did you all do? Just like pop off the boat right here. You just like came inland yep. a bit. I don't know. Well, they were they're good talkers. That made them good barkeepers. That made them good uh, politicians. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and you know, from there, power flowed. So, oh, so you visited over. So you visited more of the states than most Americans have visited. Yes, I just went to uh, Arizona recently, so I can tick that off the list. Uh, yeah, I've been to a crap ton. I'm not going to swear on your show, but I have been to a, a butt ton of the states, um, which I kind of I'm a little impressed by because there's only seven, what, seven states and territories in Australia, so you can knock them off real quick. But here it takes a hot second to get around. I still haven't been to Montana. I'm desperate to go to Montana because I think it's beautiful. beautiful. State. Or at least yeah. parts of it. Yeah. I, isn't it being taken over a little bit now by the ideology? Is that oh, well, yeah, that's kind of the backstory of Yellowstone, which is the competition, mm -hmm. even though, you know, Kevin Costner was, you know, you know, doing his little virtue signaling for Liz Cheney. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe he had to, knowing how politics works in Wyoming. Robert, time. that was that was actually Kevin Costner in the white shirt. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. I thought, I thought that was a joke. It was just no, a guy who looked was... like Kevin. No, that that's him. really Kevin Costner. Oh, it, now, you know, Yellowstone is about the backstory of <laughs> politics, of of what's happening in the beautiful parts of the rural West, starting with Ted Turner back in the 80s. And mm. it's all this sort of gentrification. And then you have Bill Gates trying to buy up farmland. And then I represented the great director of Predator and Die Hard and all of that, who has property up there, who basically there's one guy trying to buy up property using banks to leverage it. And so it's an ongoing political warfare, but still yeah. beautiful state. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I guess it's, I, I always think to myself, it's so sad how even the Pacific Northwest has been taken over because it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Texas. I love living in Texas. Don't get me wrong, but it's so flat and it's yeah. not the prettiest of states. I'm so envious of all these places that are incredibly beautiful to live in, but have the worst politics. So I love, I love the location. 
Well, a place that does a, you know, a lot of physical beauty that politics okay is where uh, Viva's at now. Sydney, I'm, I'm listening to you talk. I'm like, I was just talking with my wife this morning. We yeah. both miss Canada geographically. And I was like, yeah. well, there's, there's, there's nothing that can make up for what's going on there in terms of geographic beauty. Mountains, snow, skiing, river. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yep. Florida. Yeah, you is should just ca- go to Tennessee then. Tennessee's uh, got mountains, got creeks, got Robert, rivers, the, got the small towns. Rate, the yeah. crime rate in Tennessee is, is rather high for my level of comfort. But yeah. what is... The crime rate is the, the intent. Oh, no, the East Tennessee. That's only Memphis. <laughs> yeah, right. that's, Doesn't Nashville also Memphis. have a high crime rate? Isn't Nashville also sort of falling off the wagon a little bit? Uh, it depends on where you are. Nashville's have been heavily gentrified. So the, uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, my, uh, my, uh, I have family that lives right outside Nashville in the uh, suburban counties, uh, rural counties that are half rural, half suburban. Mm-hmm. Uh, parts of Nashville a little bit. Uh, the, the Nashville city has been liberalized. Uh, the city itself, Bad, the working yeah. class population is out. But the rest of the state, very populous, very uh, low crime rates through most of the areas. Outside of your urban core, you just don't have much crime in Tennessee. Uh, I think that's true for everywhere there, because I think Dallas is the same. I don't like yeah. Dallas personally. I think it's a it's just a weird, gross city. I don't know. And, and you know, no shade. It's a big oil town. You have to like big oil towns to like Dallas. But I just don't know who could. It's just, I don't know. Everybody, it's really, really weird because you have all these yuppie people walking around who look very beautiful and everyone tries really hard. And then you have the antithesis of that. And you think, how do these two worlds coexist? They don't really, I suppose. They kind of just live concurrently. It's really, it's really strange. But you get out of Dallas and there's some really cute little towns and areas. Mm-hmm. Like you've got Frisco, which is beautiful. I think Plano's quite nice nice mckinney i mean like all of the outskirts are really nice dallas not very nice so maybe i'm just negative robert feels comfortable what led you to dallas and you think he'll stay there i don't know i don't know i'm desperate to live in a state that doesn't look like you know someone just i don't know vacuumed all the fun stuff out of it I, I just want to live in like almost like you said Tennessee or something like that. So I don't know. I love the fact I don't have to pay a uh, state income tax. It's pretty good. Big big thumbs up to that. Um, but I moved to Dallas basically just because I was sick of living in D.C. and I hated D.C. when I first moved. It just it's a beautiful city, but it's really negative and and everybody's a sociopath and 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 an alcoholic. I don't know if that's yeah, a you, that was one of the early chat questions. Can you describe what living in the District of Columbia was like? Um, okay, so have you ever burned your hands? Yes. <laughs> that, was, that was the question. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so it's like burning your hands, but it never ends. But that's your whole body. So you just live in this like perpetual state of feeling like burned to death, but internally and emotionally. Um, no, it, DC was horrible. I just don't know how people do it. I'm, I, I, I think I have too many feelings and I'm not cut out to be in a place where the first question that people ask you is, so what do you do? Who do you work for? Because they don't care about interacting with you as a human being. They want to know about who you are and how they can use you to get ahead. And I just, I just, I oh, can't. That's basically that. Hollywood. Always be, <laughs> always be networking. But now, okay, so Sydney, uh, I'm not even sure we actually answered the question of what, you came to the U.S. in 2019. What was the reason? And then we got to get into how you started commentating. Yeah. So the reason I moved is honestly just because I kind of got to a point in Australia where once again, I was like, no one cares. They care to they care enough that they'll pay attention, but not so much that they want to get involved in actually changing the trajectory of the country. And that's no shade to Australians. That's just the general way that they kind of are towards a lot of things that makes them very enjoyable as people because they're very laid back. But it doesn't really help if you want to structure your life around political commentary and political change, because I would you know, I, I had a protest once for men for men's rights and a ton of people came like don't don't misunderstand a bunch of people turned up and they were awesome and I loved meeting so many of them. But I thought for a 
an issue that's pervasive that seems to have a lot of support, there isn't too many people who are demonstrating that on the ground on their feet. Again, that's just kind of the way that Aussies are. I live in a liberal area. Fine, fine, fine. So I moved because I was kind of looking at the country, the way that laws are being passed, the kinds of laws that were being passed. And I thought, this is jacked. And I don't like the fact that everything that I do is regulated, basically. And so I kind of took that, what was going on, the way the politicians were acting, the general way that my state was handling things. Again, very, very, very leftist state that I come from. And I thought, I don't want to do this. And I want I want to be able to actually grow and develop with what I'm doing politically. And the best way to do that is in the United States. So I moved to Washington, D.C. And then here we are. Very cool. And you started uh, with the online commentary. Yes. Roughly when and, and how did that progress? What did it start with? How did it get to where you are now? I mean, it started with one video about gun rights uh, and how Australia and the United States are not comparable when it comes to the way that we deal with guns and, and, you know, conversations around guns and even just like laws in general or general population understanding of what, you know, firearms are. And like I said, that went viral. Um, and then I kind of I thought, this is cool. I can keep doing this. But I can't watch my earlier content because I find it so unbelievably embarrassing because I'm just I'm so rigid in the way that I'm interacting with the camera. I'm like, yes, yes, bop, bop, bop. And it's not good. I just no one should ever watch it. Um, but I saw that there was a lot of interest in what I had to say. And I thought this is cool. So it kind of like I said, it just took on a life of its own. I just kept making more content. I'm so fortunate to have been given the opportunity with Sky News Australia because they put me on panels and I was able to actually interact with other people who were also interested in politics and that was a really good place to get a lot of experience doing live commentary and that just kind of moved on from there i mean americans are very welcoming i think this is something that gets overlooked routinely americans are very pro freedom they're pro people who care about freedom and so i was embraced really quickly over here but it's all been online i mean my my channel although my youtube channel although it's gone through some changes with what YouTube's doing. I'm sure that you guys can both relate to this, the way that YouTube goes about things. It's it's maintained. It's floating. It's just cruising along. Doing Sydney, stuff. Will, will it embarrass you if I bring up the video? What video? Uh, this one. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> Look, give, me, give me 30 seconds. Look at my makeup. It looks like, oh my god, it's so bad. About guns and gun control in this oh, no. result of the really deep... You're not, Sydney, you're not as bad as you think you are looking uh, at yourself four years ago. I know what you're doing right now in your own head, but... ...any gun rhetoric that seems to permeate through the entirety of Australia. Oh, it looks it, like I got attacked by like a like a raccoon. I'll, I'll tell you this, though. If I'm, if I'm an agent, I like to think that I could detect, even when you think you're uncomfortable and awkward, that's yeah. more natural than, than people after 10 years on the interwebs. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to go put that in the chat so everybody can go watch it. Um, so, so, so that, you know, that goes viral. You see like, Oh, people are actually interested in, in this type of discussion here. Mm-hmm. There's more issues like this. Uh, I mean, you, you don't get pigeonholed or you don't get fixated on one issue in particular. Uh, how, how do you how do you discover, dive into other issues? Oh, I just, you know what it is? I cover the things I care about. So sometimes, and, I, and I've and always said this to people when I get asked um, to do TV TV, when they go, hey, will you come on blah, blah, blah show? And I go, yeah, of course. Like, that's great. Opportunity. Awesome. Love it. But then they go, hey, but we want to talk about, you know, Afghanistan's new president. And I always try to tell people ahead of time and I actually did this for Rob. I, I DM'd him and I just now because i'm so bad at time management i should have done that earlier i always say just so that you know i'm not that political i'm actually just really 
interested in social and cultural issues. So the way I think that I get really invested in something is when either I have a direct link to it and I can go, crap, that affects my, my loved one. And then I look into it further and I go, wow, this is a really big pervasive issue. Or just when something strikes me, it's just really not okay. I think that's how I sort of got involved and shifted a little bit into talking about the erasure of women, um, which is something that I talk about a lot because I look at this whole whole topic and I go, it's just so bizarre to me that we're living in a period of time where the even the word women is contested. Like how like how did that happen? And obviously that affects me directly, but it also affects, you know, however many other billions of women that are in the world. It's just insanity to me. Yeah, the uh you, I was wondering about your sources, but from watching a lot of your videos over the over the years, it seems like a lot of your reactions are instinctual. In other words, mm-hmm. you're looking at the original material and just reacting and responding to some of the absurdities presented into it, some of the problematic consequences societally yep. that, that flow from it. But when you do look at sources, how do you decide? It's one of the most popular questions I get. How do I know what sources to trust? What sources should I seek out to filter out information in maybe a space I don't know as much about? How do you go about that? Well, I think that one of the greatest things that I learned at school, at university, actually, was how to properly fact find because uh, if you're going to be writing you know a paper about uh, i don't know something to do with policing and you use crappy sources well obviously you're not going to get a very good grade whether you're left wing or right wing it didn't matter at the time so i think the university actually taught me how to go through and find quality sources and you know i would say now i try to be really holistic in the way that i approach things so sometimes even if I don't think a source is that good, I will still include it. I'll still include the information, but I give the alternative side of things where I go, yeah, maybe this isn't that great. And here's the, the other perspective that, you know, basically contradicts this or cancels it out. So then people can decide for themselves. Uh, And I used to, and I don't do this now just because YouTube will actually ban or strike or copy, um, copy claim a video or whatever be- when you include links and things so I, and I don't want that to happen I don't want to be age restricted I'm sick of having my videos age restricted and deleted so I used to include all of my links so people could go and find the information themselves because that's important to me to just not it's not just believe what I have to say it's go and look for yourself go and determine if you believe it too so I mean second amendment set that aside you then yeah. get into men's rights yes uh, and I'm thinking uh, we, uh, Karen Strawn and people in that field. Um, if I could ask a question, why does a woman, mm-hmm. and I say this because it's the obvious question, why does a woman get into men's rights when a lot of people are going to say women have issues, focus on women's rights, that's, what's, you know, that's, what's t- that's what touches you personally? Well, I would say to, because I've gotten that question a lot, I think that the greatest way that I can answer it is there's likely enough women well, there was at the time, there was likely enough women at the time fighting for the rights of women. I thought feminists, although I didn't agree with a lot of what they had to say, they were still doing an adequate job going after the primary issues that would in fact have affected me. And it didn't mean that I didn't care and that I still don't care about female issues. I do, obviously, because now I talk about them a lot. Um, But at the time, feminists were very good at identifying legitimate things and illegitimate things and going after them. I think the problem was that a lot of what I was seeing was that feminism, particularly in Australia, which is pretty gynocentric, was getting really out of control. And I thought this is this is just a really unhelpful way of of striving, I guess, for women's rights. And if the way that we do that is by pushing down 50 percent of the population, well, that's not going to work, is it? So I really just got involved because I thought it's hard, I think, for men to talk about men's issues or at least like the male 
perspective on a lot of things. It's very challenging for men to do that without being labeled as sexist or misogynistic or, you know, shamed basically out of the room. And I didn't like that. So I thought if I have to be somebody who can kind of stand up so that other men feel comfy standing up and they can actually have their say and then eventually step forward and and continue on, great, I, I will happily do that. Nowadays, and I'll caveat what I just said by saying that today, feminists are failing because they've been cannibalized by, uh, I guess, liberalism and the, and the trans ideology. And so now they're not adequately fighting for women's rights. They're not adequately fighting for anybody's rights. They're just kind of screaming into the ethers. And so now I feel a lot more comfortable talking about female issues because I feel like I'm actually needed now, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, there was a lack of advocates for men's rights Yeah, because men uh, often felt uncomfortable. And they get shamed. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, you know, in the, in the United States, a lot of that arose originally out of family courts mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, divorce disputes and custodial disputes. And you had a mixture of advocates in that space. You had yes. some who were very sincere, who were correctly pointing out and some of the best. I think it's the red pill. I forget the name of that documentary, yep. like feminists that pill. set out to make a movie about men's rights and ended up determining that in fact men's rights were being violated on a routine and regular basis. Yep. And in part it's because there wasn't effective advocates for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the, uh, and it was, it was partially due to a lack of advocacy. And then you had some people in the men's rights space co-opt men's rights language for their own uh, interest to protect abusers, to protect other people. Like in mm-hmm. the legal space, when I dealt with a men's rights lawyer early in the uh, 2000s, uh, nine times out of 10, they were representing abusers and eagerly so. So I realized if you were an honest guy uh, who was getting wronged, if you were if your if your wife was unfortunately Amber Heard, you didn't have <laughs> right. adequate representation because either went to the nut jobs who tended to represent abusers or you got nobody who listened to you. Mm-hmm. you so there definitely was a gap of effective advocacy. But uh, but now how shocked have you been at the complete? I'm still shocked at the how fast we've had a complete destruction of the idea of biological gender oh. so much so that you know courts are doing are requiring prisons state prisons as we t- viva and i talked about recently in a case where they're requiring state prisons to let men into women's prisons mm-hmm. or they, they they're requiring men to be allowed into girls bathrooms and public schools uh they're requiring to recognize them as if they're by their by their chosen gender identity Teachers have been fired because they wouldn't use the chosen gender identity of the person. Things that used to be a bad South Park prank. Uh, right. You know, I mean, there's old South Park episodes of this where, you know, a guy enters the women's competition. It's a famous wrestler and he wins and everybody has to pretend he's actually a woman. And it's supposed to be parody. But now it's our living. Have you been shocked at how fast this is all happening? Not really, because I think that when something like liberalism meets feminism meets the trans thing, I think that you have this gross sort of mashup that morphs into something that snowballs. And I think we've always seen that because even if you think about feminism, right, feminism, what did it want? It wanted equal rights for men and women. And so the way that it did that was it said, okay, well, women can vote at least. Women can work. Women can earn money. Women can pay taxes. They can do all these things. They can get divorced. They can, you know, have have a say in, in all of these different avenues of life that maybe beforehand they didn't have access to and that sort of morphed into what we see with third wave feminism which is basically just a a superiority movement for women that very often concerns itself with sort of irrational not necessary 
societal issues that women don't actually care about um, rather than, you know, significant things that actually affect women, which is, you know, sort of what we're seeing today. When you see that snowball, it's never enough for these people. And I think that's why we've ended up at this place where we can't even define what a woman is where, you know, I, I feel like it's really interesting how men kind of get left out of this equation a little bit because no one's trying to redefine man. Or no one's trying to come after, you know, the biological the biological nature of men. It's not like you guys get called, you know, like scrotum havers or whatever, whereas we get called cervix womb people, whatever it is. Uh, I find that like a really interesting part of this conversation that men are kind of just like left alone. But it's so strange to me that we've kind of gotten to a point where even the medical system is participating in this. Like, does that not blow both of your minds as well to think about the doctors actively participate in all of this, in the denial of, you, you of the funny? way that we've understood the world? Now, now that you say it out loud, they're redefining the vagina as the front hole, but nobody's redefining the penis as like the front finger. Like no, nobody's, <laughs> but Cynthia, I'll just say one thing. My dog is getting tangled up in the, in the cables of the lights. When you Save say him. That, Save the dog. He'll be, he'll be, he'll be, Winston, Winston. Is he all right? If if you see my lights come crashing down, you know something wrong has happened. When you say, you know, women now are screaming into the ether, my -hmm. observation, and maybe it's just as a male, Mm -hmm. a a white privileged male, I don't see women even screaming into the ether. I see them silenced into submission out of shame, social pressure, and where I know outspoken women who are too shy. They don't want to get into the fight publicly to say, uh, you know, I was fighting for breastfeeding rooms at, at my work, at my place of business. And now, you know, some, a biological male is fighting over whether or not we call them breasts or chest feeding. I, I, don't, I don't see enough outrage from women, biological women, to reclaim the rights that they had spent 75, 100 years fighting for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's funny. So you, you're gonna, you went from the crosshairs of the men's rights to the crosshairs of the women's rights. Uh, yeah. how, how, I mean, first of all, am I right or am I wrong? Okay, so let me, I think you're right. I do think you're right. Let me qualify what my point earlier. I think when I say women, I meant feminists are now screaming into the ethers because I think they've sort of lost the support of even other radical feminists who are just like, what are you doing? Um, I think that a lot of the movement has been cannibalized, like I said, by liberalism, which is what we're seeing today. So now they just scream about nonsense. But you are right. Women are too scared to stand up and say anything. And it's really sad because when they do try, think about J.K. Rowling, right? I mean, she's, all she said was that bio, biology or biological sex is a reality because if it wasn't a reality, then gay people wouldn't exist. And think about how much crap she has come into contact with just by saying something that, you know, maybe five years ago would have been seen as just kind of basic. Okay, cool. Thanks, J.K. That's great. Awesome. Really good stuff. But she's been docked. She's been harassed. There's countless women in the UK that I don't know if... if, if either of you have heard of these stories, but there are women who've, you know, uh, dead named or what's the word when you call someone by the wrong pronouns? Uh, Misgendered. Mm -hmm. They misgender people on the internet and then the police have shown up at their door. I mean, there's two women, one I believe in 2019 and one at the end of 2021 or maybe at the end of 2020, both of which were arrested for misgendering somebody. Like, I'm sorry, but really this is the period of time that we're living in. So when they do speak up, they get shamed, they get doxxed, they get doxxed, they get harassed, they lose their jobs, they are, you know, have their children taken away from them. Think about the parents that speak up about this and have their kids removed from their mm-hmm. homes. So it's sort of like we kind of have our hands tied in a sense, because if you really want to go up against the transgender activist ideological, whatever it is, monolith, I guess, that it's become, you kind of are taking your life and a lot of your 
the good things in your life into your own hands and going, okay, I surrender these things because they're probably going to be taken away from me anyway. I'm not saying that you're going to die if you speak out about this, but you will probably get fired. So you're, you're right. It's scary. Now, and one of my premises about fe uh, where feminism went awry is that you had a, a brand uh, or strand of feminism that was equal rights, civil rights, civil liberties, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then you had another brand that always struck me as, it, which would explain what you're talking about, how it was almost a natural extension where it went, that almost denied gender reality. In other mm -hmm. words, it always struck me that there was a brand of feminism, the professional class careerist brand of feminism, that was all about the problems of the world or that women don't get to be more like men yeah. rather than and it, was, it wasn't rooted in things that were unique to being a woman, things that were unique to femininity. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, they didn't have respect for sort of tradition and cultural or social in that context. And I always found it weird that the ideal world was to not to, to not be a caregiver, to not be part of the home, to not be focused on family, to not be, you know, that, that somehow those somehow all those traditional maternal feminine traits somehow became bad, undesirable, mm -hmm. the signs of oppression. And all of a sudden, the signs of success was commercial success, market success, monetary reward. Uh, in in the rest, and so from there it was almost like a natural extension that when you never recognize biological difference from the first place, you weren't going to recognize. Uh, it was easy to adapt and say, "Oh yeah, men can now be women too." It's all about identity. It's all about a social construct. It's it's not connected and rooted in it. And I'm still struck by that. Like there's, it seems that there is a kind like a lot of pro life movement in my view. One, it's overwhelmingly women, but two, that are in the pro life movement. It's a myth of the pro choice movement. Some of your biggest pro-choice advocates are uh, David Portnoy. You know, <laughs> I knew who, I knew Barnes who, was going. <laughs> who, 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 who wants to bang who he can bang, including every whack job and lunatic and nut who reaches out to them. And he's shocked he gets sued, you know, or involved in controversy. Hey, maybe don't bang crazy, bud. But aside from that, the uh, uh, you know he he doesn't want responsibility. He doesn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, abortion has been a gift for men who don't want accountability. For well, men who don't want responsibility. Men. So abortion how much on do demand. I don't know if you know this, but abortion on demand was started by men, by two men. Uh, oh, of course. And why not? I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's it's in there. It's self-interest. So yeah. how much does that explain aspects of where feminism went awry and how abortion, in my view, a true feminist perspective, disproportionately girls are killed more so more so than boys around the world in abortions, mm -hmm. um, that really a true honest feminist movement would actually be a pro-life movement. Oh, so I think what you're saying is correct, that there is a, a offshoot of feminist ideology that basically doesn't distinguish between men and women. And I think that you have a lot of early feminist writers who who basically said that, you know, women are chattel when they're pregnant. Women are I think there was I can't remember who, who it was, but it was one of the very early feminist writers, one of the well-known ones. And her name escapes me. She basically said that pregnancy is kind of akin to torture. And so there was this definite ideology happening, or at least, you know, growing and taking place, um, even, you know, since probably the 60s, I would say, is really when it started to take root, that motherhood was not a good thing, that there should be no differentiation between men and women, that basically we need to copy paste all of the traits in men into women and then women will be greater there was no emphasis on sort of you know femininity there was no emphasis on the traits that make us strong as women that are not shared by men there's a lot of things about women i think that are tremendous that men simply don't have and that's what makes us you know so unique and different special and interesting also why a man can't just say i'm a woman now and think that he's the same as us he's not and what's interesting is that you had this sort of concurrent 
I, I guess, movement happening at the same time as those rad radical feminists who were also saying, yeah, we don't believe in abortion. In fact, there was a vote that went on in Washington, D.C. by, I think, I, I can't, again, the name escapes me, but I, I believe they're called the Women's Federation or something like that. And they voted down to include abortion in many of the things that they were striving for at the time with Congress. They didn't want it. It was not, you know, it was not something that they initially were striving for. And then I believe it was based on two votes that it eventually got in to what they were pushing for later down the line. But it just goes to show that there, that was not something that a lot of women wanted. They wanted access to birth control because they wanted to control when they could and couldn't get pregnant. But they weren't like, hey, yeah, let's let's all terminate pregnancies. That sounds great. So I think what you're saying is inherently right i think again the problem comes from the fact that we've sort of shifted our mentality towards babies and motherhood being uh, like a ball and chain it's something that holds us back when in reality i think motherhood is tremendous i i'm sort of in the middle on a lot of these issues where i'm kind of like i believe that women should be able to work outside the home i don't think that a woman's place is necessarily being pregnant in the kitchen like that's not that's not how I would ever want to live my life. And maybe somewhere down the line, I and I want to have kids, but maybe I will want to be that, but not right now. But I also don't shame women who do feel that way because at the end of the day, it's kind of like different strokes for different folks, right? Like some dads might want to be a stay-at-home father. Some might want to go out and work. And I think that women should be entitled to those same rights as well. Where I get distressed is this bizarre feminist attitude that motherhood is the worst thing in the world and we should strive to get away from it. How is that feminist? How is the one unique thing that we can do that is tremendous? How is that? How is saying that that is terrible a feminist thing? It doesn't make sense. It, it, well, it's it's the, it's just like looking at something and wanting to see what you want to see in it. I think it was Andrea Jworkin who said yeah. that sex is an act of male dominance, and then yeah. you get other you get other feminists who say sex is the act's absolute uh, act of um, liberation. Yeah, it, it, it's just you start from conclusions and then you interpret things accordingly. Mm -hmm. Where pregnancy if you want to look at it as dominance you say pregnancy is torture and other people are going to say pregnancy is the greatest gift that a woman can ever be bestowed a man will never know it yeah even with the, my wife is speaking of which my <laughs> wife she comes in the room okay she took my phone my phone <laughs> sorry uh so it, it's it's just a question of 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 starting point and how you want to interpret the phenomenon uh but now look you're um you're going to get flack for this. Like in your personal life, in your professional life, we're sort of more independent. So you don't have to worry about getting fired, getting, um, I don't know, reprimanded. Uh -huh. But what sort of flack have you taken in your personal life for the public stance that you've taken on these thorny issues? I mean, I think I cleared out a lot of the crazy people who didn't want to be friends with me back in the day. Like, it, it's so funny because sometimes people, they comment and they'll say like, oh, I, you know, I ran into someone actually weirdly enough who knew who you were and that went to school with you and they said that you're a racist. You know, I get this, <laughs> like this, this type of thing a lot. It just makes me laugh. Um, honestly, all of the, all of the people that I know and that I associate with are, even I have a couple very, very, very good liberal friends and they're very dear and I think they round out my opinions and make me a better person. Um, all of these people just kind of accept it as it is. Uh, I went through the sort of shrugging off, you know, like shouldering all the people off who hated my ideas and I got rid of them. You know, it's kind of funny, though, actually, is when I make new friends now, uh, I always feel really awkward because I don't know how to integrate into the conversation that I'm an Internet weirdo who shouts at a, at a camera for a living. Like, how does one how does one say that? hello, I am a strange human on the internet. Like I, I just, I don't even know how to do that. So I'm really, I'm really lucky that the circle that I have maintained, I hope won't go anywhere.
I, I really haven't been too affected these days, honestly. What does vampire lord mean? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I saw it too, Robert. <laughs> I haven't, I have an old YouTube channel uh, from when I used to write and play music and things, and I would put up covers and whatnot. Um, and a couple of my my followers found it, and they were like, "Oh, she doesn't age." And so then they started calling me a vampire because they say I don't age. Uh, and then I don't know where the Lord thing came from. Actually, I don't remember where that how that kind of got clunked onto this. I'm sure it came from someone saying something weird to me. Uh, but the vampire thing is me not aging. The Lord is because clearly I'm a Lord, and now I'm Vampire Lord Sydney. I, I'm once bitten, twice shy about asking questions that came in super chats that might be actually embarrassing. But I'll get through the super. Let me actually just bring up the super chats. I can't bring them up. I'll just say them. Remember to ask Sydney about her time living in DC from Carol W., who's a member. Done. Sydney is a boss from John Yarber. Done. Just heard over the radio the last plane out of Sydney's almost gone. I don't get that joke. It's a Rob from a song. Rob A says, "Is Sydney a fan of the Aussie Cossack?" And I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, uh, I'm not very familiar with with his work. I, I think he got arrested recently. I know my mom uh, listens to him. He's another YouTuber. All right. And someone says, how long will you you are here be on hiatus for, Sydney? I can't. Um, I, 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 I can't really talk about it. Okay. That was from Mr. Wolfgram. Uh, it must be very exciting to have parents who were pirates. Oh, wait. Did you say pilots? Never mind. And <laughs> we caught the last portion of the stream. You two... Uh, you too close to time for my sanity space. Appreciate both of you and the info you provide. Now, Sydney. Oh, yeah. And we had a locals chat. What do you, I don't know where this came from, but what do you think about Queen Elizabeth? Hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know. She signs all of our, uh, all of our. Um, is that weird? Like the yeah. queen is still involved? Like, I mean, I, I get it UK, but to be in Australia or Canada and somehow the queen still, have, I mean, sure, there's crazy conspiracy theories. I mean, I get, I still get people that think, uh, They'll ask me, uh, how do you feel about being part of the British accreditation registry? You know, the bar. I'm like, no, <laughs> those are not two the same things. I'm glad You're you read looking. that, but they're not related. <laughs> you know, my namesake was martyred in England by the uh, dear king. The mm -hmm. uh, uh, Years ago, he preached preached a sermon against him and got to visit the tower, and that didn't turn out well, well in the end. But, yeah, any thoughts? On, but So no major thoughts on the how – do, how do people in Australia think – like when I was in Australia, the only thing they would talk about is rugby. Everybody would talk about <laughs> rugby, but uh, how do they feel at the royal family? Uh, you know, it's quite funny because, uh, fun fact, back in the, I believe it was the 90s, late 90s, uh, Australia got it, got it, I can't speak English, I'm sorry, lads, was able to vote uh, as to whether or not we should become a republic and it got voted down. So I don't know, I guess that was, what, 30 years ago now, but it still gives you a pretty good indication that Aussies are just like, nah, it's fine, we're going with the status quo. Um, I think it's crazy that the Queen is our head of state, because you know what, and not a lot of people know this, but I'm sure, I'm sure one or maybe both of you do. Um, back in the 60s, the queen, or at least like the queen's sort of representative in Australia, fired the government, just like point blank fired Gough Whitlam's government because they were just terrible and just not good and brought in a bunch of crazy social programs. But people don't realize that the queen has the ability to fire our government. She signs off, she technically signs off, uh, signs off on all our uh, legislation. She makes it law once she signs it or gives her royal assent. It's now law. Um, people don't realize any of this. I don't have an opinion on it because, to be honest with you, I don't really know that much about the implications of having the queen as a head of state besides the fact that I just think it's hilarious. Um, I do kind of wish that Australia was a republic because maybe then we would participate less in sort of the general Commonwealth behavior. Um, but, you know, honestly, I don't really have an opinion. I mean, it's kind of cool that the queen has lived this long. Good job, her. <laughs> I guess the lizard people do have special genes. I don't know. 
Uh, she, and and apparently she had a drink every day and she was told to stop drinking gin, I think. There and she said, you know what? I, I told when my mother told me this story, because my parents are almost well, one's in their 80s, the other one's close. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, we should do things to live longer. It's like, dude, how much longer do you need to live? <laughs> Be happy and don't just go on for, for however long. But Sydney, mm-hmm. uh, so I was watching some of your stuff today. I was going back in the day and trying to bone up. Uh, you had an experience on Vosh, on a live stream on Vosh, where you mm-hmm. discussed, I, I don't know if you use the word toxic because that's sort of a cliche term, but uh, I forget how you described the chat in Vosh. And I was, I was watching that and saying, you know, like people who do live streams on, the, on other people's channels, uh, especially in different environments who actually pay attention to the chat can be shocked. They can get traumatized. Uh, first, first, first things first, how did you end up on Vosh? What was the nature of the discussion? And why were you reading the chat while you were live? Oh, so actually Vosh, I think, I think maybe what you're referring to is Vosh reacted to a video that I, I've never been on his channel and I don't think I, well, actually I would probably go on if he ever invited me, but I don't think he ever would. Cause we have, uh, he reacted to a video that I was that I participated in on a channel called Jubilee, uh, where I discussed basically being sexually assaulted. And then he said, I made it up, which I didn't really appreciate. I was like, that's kind of an uncool thing to say. Um, so my reaction, I think, I think, are you talking about a podcast that I was on where I was talking? Yes. About and, I, and I might, I might've gotten confused. Yeah. So, so that was that situation. I think maybe what you're referring to is, um, the, I, the show that I used to host, um, with the chat was very anti-female, and I just never really appreciated it. And I and I do think that there's quite an under-talked-about part of the internet, especially perhaps on the right wing, mostly on the right wing, um, that does dislike women quite a lot. And I think that that experience was really eye-opening for me because, to be honest with you, my audience is so mellow and they're very warm and welcoming and they're very clever people. And I would say a lot of them are, are moderate. They're kind of from all over the the political spectrum and so i was never exposed to people who just hate you by virtue of the fact that you you know have the wrong chromosome so that was a really interesting thing for me and i think for people to go through that and experience how vile the internet can be it's a it's definitely like a leveling up opportunity for you as an emotional human being (laughs) like you get to a point where you're like oh crap this is this is the nature of this huh and then you kind of have to go the thickest skin and that's kind of what i went through with that Okay, good. So I, I, first of all, I like how polite you are in saying that I've grossly misunderstood something. Uh, <laughs> it, it, no, I, I, I don't know it, if I answered the question. You, you <laughs> did, you did. It's the idea of, it was a podcast. I think you were on her podcast. I don't remember her name now, but you were Blair. talking about, but mm-hmm. it, oh, I'm sorry. And I thought you had been on Vosh in terms of watching the chat. And it, it's an interesting thing. I think like when, when the chat, I think is not always toxic, but there are always toxic elements of it. But yeah. I do, I do tend to view it just like it's the place where people come to make the jokes that they can't make in real life. And so mm-hmm. it, I don't think it's bona fide um, misogyny, bona fide anti-Semitism, bona fide racism. I just think it's people who like who think they're making the jokes, and it's the time to do it anonymously on the interwebs. But my goodness, it can it it won't erode the soul; it will thicken the skin. Um, yeah. That's a good way of putting it because it's it's yeah, it's it's pretty brutal. I think that, again, like I've been really blessed that the only people who have ever really come at me have been feminists and leftists and, you know, the the trans rights activists. Um, But I've never really had I've never really had some of the experiences before that I've had in the last little while. And it's kind of been a really eye opening thing for me. So I think I think I will maybe I'll qualify and disagree with you in the sense that just just slightly that for me, it can be a little soul destroying because it's like, oh, 
But I, you know, like, like you said, you do, you grow a thicker skin because you just got to get over it. If you want to be in this space, and I've said this publicly when people whine and cry and whatever, it's like, well, you do, you do have to level up. That's just, that's the only way that it can go. Yeah. And, and you have people out there that, that are true sickos, oh, uh, yeah. perverts, uh, uh, people who judge people based on gender and race. Those people exist and they love to go to YouTube chat in particular. Yeah. Uh, in my experience and uh, uh, just a repulsive group of people. And unfortunately, some of them rise to places of influence <laughs> within the political right. Uh, yes. I'm not going to mention uh, certain uh, people necessarily by name. Uh, I might, depending on my mood. But the uh, what was your you saw recently Lauren Southern's documentary. I knew some of the backstory of that beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um uh, disappointed in one person in the UK in particular, but you know, people go crazy sometimes. It's the nature of it. Uh, but, uh, but there's some others that, you know, she, she properly dealt with her experience and it's, it's same in law, some other professions. It's like, what I always say is there's a balance between all the craziness that's happening with woke ideology on race and gender mm-hmm. and recognizing the reality that base, that people are constantly harassed, discriminated against, yeah. Uh, you, you know, subject to unique kind of threats based on race and gender, that that reality still exists. And, mm-hmm. and I try to push back on those people who try to pretend that because one group is wrong, that means every allegation or accusation that's ever connected to that group is wrong. Yeah. Two things are very different realities. Uh, what do you think about Lauren Southern? Uh, you know, the you know, her uh, courage in making that. Mm-hmm. And how much do you think that is an obstacle young women face in the social influencer space oh my god robert uh why these are this is okay i have a lot of opinions about this but i've tried not to go into detail just because i think that there's an element where we don't want to be told things that are necessarily true because it goes against what we've been taught to believe so i think that there's this real tribalism on both sides of the coin don't get me wrong where we kind of want to protect our own and so when someone goes this person's a dirtbag we go no no they couldn't possibly be they think similarly to me they also believe taxation is theft and so we have this sort of inclination towards protecting them when in reality i mean i think it's okay to weed out and get rid of people who are buttheads just because they exist in the same space. Like I would have no problem, you know, calling people out. And there's, I don't know what what you lads think of Andrew Tate and this whole thing that's come up, but it's been really interesting to see the response where a lot of people have defended him just because he's been banned on the internet. And they're like, well, this is somebody who, yeah, he might have some questionable opinions. He might have some really corrosive opinions, but he shouldn't be shut down completely. And do I agree with that on a free speech level? Sure. Do I think that, you know, Andrew Tate is the person that everybody should be emulating right now? Absolutely freaking not. Do I think that we should be calling it out absolutely but no one will do it because it's like they don't want to throw shade at their own side because they think that that's problematic so i think it can be really challenging to be a female um in our space especially because you are sort of in a, in a lot of ways contending with some traditional viewpoints that maybe don't lend themselves towards women being on the same footing as men i don't know how to articulate this in a way that doesn't oh, sound it, i mean it, it's a toxic mindset of people that think they're being cool by yeah. rebelling yeah. Uh, by by I- embracing uh, certain, uh, you know, whether you call it chauvinistic, I, I just, you know, they're, they're men trying it is to... Chau- pre- it is kind of chauvinistic, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think they're men fair. trying to pretend to be men who aren't men. That's yes. the way I see it. Yeah, so exactly. The, yeah. Uh, they they want to be uber-masculine to substitute for their lack of honest, authentic masculinity. 
Yes. Someone who's an actual man doesn't have to keep telling you they're a man. Just yes. as a clue. Yes. Um, but you know, so and it's it's and I understand its roots. Uh, it's a reaction, particularly with younger men that have gone through the men are bad, that men are toxic, you shouldn't yeah. be male, masculinity is bad. But this is a dangerous reaction. You know, the reaction isn't to embrace uh, the the toxic stereotype that you've been falsely accused of originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeing it across the board. I mean, uh, people like uh, a certain Nick Fuentes and some others. I mean, th- they have whole communities that are like this. They're just toxic people. They'll occasionally raid our YouTube chat. Anytime we've had a woman guest on, for example, they track me all the time just to just to because they're still mad about the Islamofascist. Uh, Robert is still the word. Yeah, they're Islamofascism, angry baby. It's still a word. If you're using it, I won the debate. So just <laughs> FYI. But the but it's just the na- the nature of the animal. But yeah, I was I thought it was good for Lauren to talk out to talk out about yeah, it. Yeah, she and, didn't cover and, and, like nearly enough of it though rob like she and i were chatting a little bit behind the scenes because we have some crossover experiences and i was really happy for her and when it's funny because when i was on the blair white's podcast i i kind of touched on some of the things that i'd been observing and i told her afterwards i said hey this is just what i said you know because we we know some of the same people who've done some of the same things and it's very disconcerting her experiences have been i think kind of representative of what a lot of females well not a lot but a portion of females have experienced and the thing is that because we don't want to be lumped in with the crazy leftist feministy types who are like wow this man looked at me the wrong way ah victimization it's so hard for us because we're like okay this isn't right but we don't want to say anything in case it sort of gets lumped in like that and so you're kind of caught in this weird position where you're like this has to be called out because it's not okay it's not okay i don't want i don't want to see any other woman or man victimized in any capacity but you kind of run into this issue where you go how do i broach this in a way that people will listen to because the worst thing that can possibly happen is you say what needs to be said and people go i don't believe you or they go no it didn't no no wrong and they reject it because it, it goes against the tribalism. Does that make sense? Sorry to interrupt you as well. Oh, Rob. yeah. Well, and, and you have people that some of it's for their own self-interest, for some of it's their political self-promotion. People like Milo, well, it was bad for business from day one. I yeah. met him with Steve Bannon, told Bannon that at the time, the Republican National Convention. This guy screamed, problem, 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 problem. Yeah. He didn't listen because that's Steve. He gets himself into lots of trouble. He's like our dear ex-president sometimes. <laughs> the uh, uh, But uh, that there's this toxic element that has caused constant, unnecessary, in my views, issues, uh, because they've embraced ideas and we're supposed to not be critical or call them out on it. Yeah. Uh, when we should. I mean, people, some of us called out people like Bill Barr uh, at, at the time and people didn't listen. Now they get to see the reality of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, so uh, in your experience in the conservative media space writ large, what has been disappointing? What has been empowering? What has been something you see as future opportunity? What do you see as some of the restrictions for those people out against the woke in the cultural commentary space? I would say the greatest thing that I've experienced in this space is genuinely the kindness and the intelligence of, say, the audience that I would attract. I actually have so much respect for my community because I think they are really brilliant people and it's made me a better human being. Um, There's a lot of there are a lot of really good, good faith people who are in this space as well. I was going to say just to what you were talking about before, Rob, if I can slide this in there. I'm not sure if if either of you are familiar with a man named Jaco Boyens. He's a uh, blaze. 
contributor and he works a lot with you know child trafficking human trafficking and and sort of helps women basically find better places and gets kids out of yucky situations and things and he's super christian and you know he's a he's he's just a good man and he is the sort of man when people talk about masculinity and they talk about you know what you want to emulate and i say this is someone who's not remotely religious so that's not even factoring into what what i'm talking about right now but when people talk about these real alpha genuine men he is who i think of because he is somebody who is worth emulating he's a good good yeah there you go he's a good good man and so it's interesting and i just i just want to add this in here to just because i do think what you're saying rob is 100 percent correct people who need to tell you that they're masculine and all these bits and pieces they are not and they're the people that i've run into in this space a little bit who have freaked me out because i think i don't want anybody taking cues from you about masculinity in general because it's faux masculinity it's not real it's actually just kind of women hating under the surface of it all or just hating anybody who isn't exactly what they want you to be and i don't like that i don't want to live in a in a, in a world like that so i just you know shout out to yako for being one of the most genuine people ever he is worth emulating these other weirdos who are like oh, i'm an alpha Mm-mm, probably not so that's been a really negative thing to come into contact with and it's kind of shattered a lot of my illusions is realizing that the people who i've either looked up to or, or who i've thought are just terrific you know finding out that maybe they're not that's been really hard but then on the other side of it is realizing that there are so many good good people that's been sort of the white pill um as for people on the ground doing the whole you know trying to fight and push back against this i always think to myself that you really have to have sort of a lot of goal to do that and i respect them a lot and it, people always just say to me like you know what, what advice do you have and i just go i don't know just do something um but that's also that's also another white pill is watching people go i've had enough i'm gonna do something and i go hell yeah do it do all of the things so. yeah well yeah i mean my advice my daughter was two men to stay away from anyone who keeps telling you he's a man and anybody who's a male feminist <laughs> those are two, well, two sides are going to be coin. stalkers harassers abusers yeah. assaulters almost yeah. without fail. i I, th- I think gad sad referred to the male feminists as the <laughs> sneaky fuckers in his book uh the yes. parasitic yes. mind they are they're, and, they're always stalkers they're always great they're, they're, they're little norman bates is in waiting that's who well, they and and the guys who always say alpha i i said like uh, unironically using the term alpha male is very is very flag raising for me Snuck but on, on the andrew tate discussion it's an interesting thing that it highlights the tribalism on both sides. Yeah. If I come out and say, there, I've, I've been relatively familiar with Andrew Tate for a while, not like thoroughly, but my daughter's uh, 13. Mm-hmm. Boys watch Andrew Tate. They send her the clips. I was like, okay, let's watch this. And I say, okay, this is what's wrong with what I'm listening to now. That's the separate discussion from whether or not he should be deplatformed under the pretext of promoting violence or being dangerous to women. Mm-hmm. Let I say, let's have the discussion because... I think I'd like to have Andrew Tate on and address the substance of what he's saying in terms of women yeah. can't have conversations without being disloyal, but men can go have sex as much as they want because that's nature. Yep. Um, but then you get into the discussion of, I disagree with what Andrew Tate might have to say, but I still defend his right to say it. And then it was like, oh, so, so you must be a male chauvinist pig too. And it's like, no, versus, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of uh, another example of people who say tremendously stupid things where I say, look, I, I don't necessarily have to deal with them, but they should have the right to say it. And the only cure to bad free speech is more free speech. I agree. Um, I, I, by the way, uh, Robert, just uh, so you know, someone white with guy or white guy said Fuentes has completely imploded Barnes. He doesn't have much prominence left. I don't know. 
Not people. Yeah. Well, that, those those kind of guys always do. It's the history of the clan. You go back to these other groups. These grifters. These uh. The, these they, they can't help themselves. Their personal behavior will catch up to them. It almost always does. Not not unless they're in actual positions of political power, and that's where the sociopaths get rewarded. You know, mm-hmm. so that's a different different animal altogether. Speaking of how culture distorts gender perceptions, you had a recent video about how Hollywood's version of feminism mm-hmm. is very anti women at core. To, yeah. And can you explain that? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think you just summarized it. It's that the way that women are portrayed in media is not, well, A, it's not representative of human beings. <laughs> I mean, they basically give us these perfect people who have no flaws they have no internal struggles which is just generally like bad writing because i was actually thinking about this um i watched one of these new little mini series on netflix the other day um about some girl who's in a satanic cult and it started off really strong and then it just fell off and i was like god this sucks because the writing is bad and so when you're writing characters it's so important to focus on actual human characteristics and traits which often get left behind when they're writing these these female roles and so when we look at like she hulk i mean there's a bunch of them but she hulk's like the newest one that everyone's fixated on she's just great at everything she's just this this woman who's out there to be really good at her career and date a bunch of guys and i think to my myself like who who does this appeal to because it's not appealing to me i find her annoying it's not appealing to men you guys probably find her annoying who is this for and this is basically what hollywood is doing is it's taking this horrible horrible male archetype this like villain male archetype and copy pasting all of those traits into women and going here you go enjoy like who who is this for i my my theory now we've we've i watched that video today uh Mm -hmm. we've had razor fist on we've had um Oh, uh, all ha- Doomcock. We've had Doomcock on. We've had uh, Nerdrotic. Nerdrotic. Gamers. I, I, I now have come to the uh, realization. The quartering. We had the quartering. The quartering. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to get anybody to appeal to anything. They're trying to indoctrinate. And yeah. when people rebel, they then say you're a misogynist for laughing at the idea that I saw that clip. Dude. I'm not watching that show, whatever it is. I saw the clip of She-Hulk saying she controls her rage infinitely better than, what's his, what's his name? Bannon? Robert? Banner. Yeah. Bruce Banner. Banner. Mm-hmm. than him whose parents were murdered in front of whatever she controls it much better because <laughs> someone cat calls her on the street mm-hmm. and tells her how to do her job um while shouting not... at him she's shouting at him controlling her anger so much and, and he's he's nodding like okay sweet like it, his nod <laughs> was the most patronizing mansplaining nod ever but no they're not trying to make you like anything they're trying mm-hmm. to indoctrinate you and when you lash out and reject it they then call you whatever istinphobe they want and they've done it through and through and now i've seen it through and through yeah. Um, wh- wh- <laughs> I say, what's the, sl- but you brought up good points in that video. Like back in the day, Sigourney Weaver, uh, Sandra Connor, her name was in real life. Oh, oh I actually don't know. Oh, I remember I had, I had the, I had the biggest crush of my life on her from T2, not from T1. Oh, uh, the Terminator. Oh yeah. yeah. Back when you had yeah. badass women, you, you could have, uh, I mean, Gina Davis played one in the long kiss. Good night. Oh, There's yeah. a range of women characters that are realistic, that are holistic. Uh, that that can play many different roles. Now, but part of it is trying to break down role. Like this upset, like certain characters because of athletic and physical performance are just naturally in the comic space and other space are just naturally mm-hmm. male characters. Yep. Now you take She-Hulk. At times, it was a popular comic. They just yep. gutted it and just rewrote it for this sort of woke feminist wine mama kind of. You know, it, it's an audience. It's like who's your audience? That, that's yeah. the other thing with all of this. It's like the the my my feminist uh, relatives and friends. They're not going to watch it. Right. They'll nope. be, oh, that's great. That's great. They're not, they're not going to watch it. Well, it's I mean, not for it's, them. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It, it's, it's, yeah. it's extraordinary. How much do you get into, 
the cultural, like in terms of films, books, things like that? How much is that part of uh, your focal point? Well, I would actually like it to be a greater part of my focal point because I'm really big into video games. Um, I'm like a secret gamer. And I've always wanted to talk about these things because I think that um, not just television and film, but just video games are also another vessel by which these messages are propagated. And so it's kind of frustrating to me that even, you know, recently I played, um, again, sorry if you guys don't know these games, but I'll promise I'll condense what I'm about to say so it's not too time consuming. We have some geeks, uh, geeks and gamers in the audience. <laughs> okay, good. Um, when I played Horizon recently, the new one, um, there was even like just these unnecessary parts where they're, you know, where characters are randomly gay or randomly trans. And it's like, why? Like, why? Like, we are, they're living in a post apocalyptic world world where they're having to fashion you know weapons out of out, out of like animal well not animal but uh, machine carcasses and you want to and now we're focusing on people being trans and not being able to wear female armor like what am i listening to right now and so it's stuff like this that i see in video games even the last of us 2 which is so sad because that was a game that's predicated on the relationship between a man and his surrogate daughter or like a, i guess now adopted daughter and it, they just destroy it in the second one by focusing so heavily on making the kid gay and having this random again like non-binary person and then the main character dies too early on and it's just like what is happening like who is this for it drives me crazy because i play these games and i sit there screaming at them going what? <laughs> like a crazy person because i'm just i am so blown away by how you can take these tremendous tremendously awesome games and then destroy them either with a sequel that doesn't make any sense doesn't actually you know it's not for the actual gamers themselves or you can take characters who are based on you know mythology or history or something uh race or gender swap them and then go here you go enjoy and we go but this doesn't make any sense this doesn't make any sense robert chat in rumble is saying you could light up the cigar if you if you were so inclined uh now <laughs> Sydney, you mentioned you mentioned um, gaming, and my yeah. initial reaction was, "I don't game. I, I okay. have nothing." Oh, but then, I thought you didn't you like uh, finish a game and like. Oh yeah, N Nintendo NES, but uh, I I don't have a TV here that has the old cable, so I haven't even been able to hook up our Nintendo. But oh. Sydney, so Sydney, I listen to say, "Oh, I'm not into that vice." But then my kids watch TikTok, which is another one of the videos that I watched today, which. I found slightly disturbing, but very oh. disturbing. And now I'm like contemplating whether or not outright banning TikTok. Yes. And how do we it, cut them off. Cut them well, off. So, yeah. so, so, you, so okay. you can play me. It was by, by instruction of your legal counsel. Uh, Robert, <laughs> I, 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 might, that, I might have to find someone to blame other than me. But um, so, so like, I'm not, not going to compare vices. But mm -hmm. I, what, you, what you raised by way of issues with TikTok is fascinating. Mm -hmm. I, and I think anybody who has not seen that video of yours Give us a five minute or whatever, two minute. Give us the TLDR rundown mm -hmm. of TikTok, why it's toxic, and uh, and and just to to substantiate like the sources and 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 how you came to that conclusion. Well, there's um so there's two that I've made about TikTok, and basically it's that they're kind of in the same realm where they're ba basically both about how TikTok is a mental illness factory, and it's very good at either getting your children addicted to it because people forget that the primary age of kids using tiktok are like i believe it's 13 to 17 that's the primary age and so these are the most impressionable people out there right and so what you basically have there's a couple there's a couple reasons why tiktok is actually really really terrible for your kids and you should absolutely not let them use it um firstly you have the for you page which basically takes all of the all of the things that you're interacting with and basically it culminates in you being able to access only specific kinds of videos 
because it just keeps giving you more and more and more of them. So if your child is interested in, say, I don't know, weight loss or, you know, into diet planning, they're going to start getting all of these thin spoke, like like hyper skinny diet orientated videos after, you know, only looking at a, at a couple of them. Their for you page, the primary page where they find videos is going to just be full of that. Now, when you're absorbing and watching and looking at this much material of, a, of the, these type of topics again and again and again, well, I mean, there's a strong likelihood that your kid will develop an eating disorder, say. Now, that can also feed into things like having dissociative identity disorder, which a lot of people think they have now, or these other mental illnesses where they go, oh, I watched this person with anxiety. Oh, I got another video about a person with anxiety. Now I'm only watching anxiety content. Oh, I have to have anxiety. And so there's a component that comes out of this called um, Munchausen by Internet, where basically young people are absorbing uh, mental illnesses that they don't actually have and saying that they do have them because they saw it on TikTok. The DID thing, the dissociative identity disorder thing is huge. It is huge because these kids are basically watching people say, oh, I have multiple personalities in my head. I have multiple alters. And it's become this like fun, sexy thing to do where you go, oh, today I'm Jenny. Oh, now I'm now I'm t Timmy and I'm going to talk to you about how I like to, you know, eat sushi. But oh, this other personality that we have, Susan, she hates sushi. And it's just become this sort of, I don't know, bizarre mental illness factory. That's the best way I can describe it. Get your kids off of TikTok. Do not let them use it. Let me just let me just send a text to my wife. It's so bad. But now the question I have, and this is not a question of defending one's own actions already. You describe it and I say, okay, that sounds like, it sounds like YouTube, the YouTube algorithm, but it sounds like the YouTube algorithm on steroids it on is. a shorter time frame yes. to create 10 second, 30 second uh, attention spans and then filter down the addiction process or the uh, mm -hmm. targeting process much yes. quicker, exponentially faster. Yep. That's basically what it is. Yep. Well, I mean, people should watch. I forget which documentary it was, but I mean, the originate the some of the original engineers behind Facebook, Google, and other algorithms, YouTube, etc., mm -hmm. have have detailed all the ways it was meant for extraordinary psychological manipulation and abuse of. Yes. And if you look at young women, especially between you know, th there's a whole generation of young women that have grown up uh, from. If you look at what happened to them in their teenage years and right after. Uh, you're talking about rights, uh, levels of rates and, of self-abuse, of various forms of harm, mm -hmm. of, uh, of suicide attempts, a range of it, of, uh, a range of mental illness, anxiety, depression levels being reported mm -hmm. that is simply off the charts. Some of these are five, six, ten times higher than normal. Yep. And it's directly correlated to their use of social media because yep. of these, in, you know, the Instagrams of the world. Uh, and TikTok took all of the worst traits and amplified it times ten. So, yep. you know, it, it, it's a very much a instead of Trump being worried about kids vaping, he should have worried about kids being on TikTok. But yeah, 100 percent. I mean, I, I think even Australia, believe it or not, was floating banning TikTok because of the privacy reasons, but also because of what it's doing to people. I mean, there was a bunch of articles that came out um, describing how young women especially are presenting at doctor's offices with uh, Tourette's or with tick ticking, basically, that they previously didn't have. And that, I mean, you could argue that that's because they're watching people who have Tourette's on TikTok and it's actually triggered the condition in them or triggered a similar condition in them or simply that they're basically just absorbing and then like i said you know participating in this like munchausen's thing where they're also ticking because they watch so much ticking but either well, way it's it's ugh, it's not J J jack posobic referred to it as a fun I, either it's the term or it was his term functional tick where yeah. like uh, 
you know, people break into dance. I, I saw li- literally kids outside. They just start doing like things with their hands. It looked like gang symbols. Mm-hmm. Joke, are you guys making a TikTok video? But then like, I, I, again, this is not trying to relativize things. You compare it to, you know, the movie Million Dollar Baby where uh, she's training to be a boxer mm-hmm. and she's got a functional tick where like she's subconsciously moving her feet in certain ways. So the difference between a functional tick and uh, reflex is just a question of whether or not it's for some form of good or for some form of addiction. Uh, and I, I struggle with this in terms of, you know, parenting my own life, because when we were kids, I used to play Nintendo until we were nauseous. We would be sweating because we spent 10 hours playing Nintendo. I used to get up at six o'clock to watch cartoons on television. Right. So, you know, is it, am I just turning into the old person saying when I did it as a kid, it was different because it was on TV. Now it's on an iPad. And I'm trying to reconcile all of these these questions in my own head. But TikTok seems yeah. bad. It, but no, it wasn't different. Well, it, it it was very different when we were younger because same thing. We used to get up at seven o'clock to watch Cheese TV, and but Cheese TV wasn't making me say that I had you know multiple mental illnesses. It wasn't convincing me that I had anxiety and depression and DID. It wasn't convincing me that I was transgender. It, I just was like, wow, that that's a that's a dog with a cat body. Like, what, <laughs> wow, what a weird cartoon, you know. Um, and same thing with with the video games that we had. Everything was sort of G. Everything was G-rated. It's it's not like we were watching so much of the crap that these kids have access to. And this is the other thing is that there's no there's no reasonable parameters and barriers on what these children are accessing because a lot of parents, you know, they'll give their phone to their child and they'll be like, here, you know, be entertained, Johnny, for 15, 15 minutes. And Johnny, in the meantime, is scrolling through the kids section of Facebook, sorry, not Facebook, of YouTube and a- accessing all this weird predatory stuff that comes up without parents knowing or with youtube actually doing anything about it they've tried to crack down this is obviously the example of youtube they've tried to crack down uh mildly unsuccessfully but it's just sad that kids even have access to any of this type of stuff on tiktok it's even worse because parents assume that tiktok is safe but it's not safe it's just i mean the gender stuff on tiktok is out of control yeah that's well i'll say speaking of crap on tv one of the locals questions was did you see the biden speech (laughs) <laughs> she with all the red the red sermon robert calls it yeah. the red yeah, sermon, the, red sermon the, the v for vendetta backdrop um to be honest with you and i again i don't know if this is just a sid thing or if you if you boys can relate to this but i have so much trouble listening to him because it gives me the worst secondhand embarrassment so i i will happily watch like highlight reels or read about it but i physically can't listen to him speak because it makes me so anxious because i'm like oh don't mess it up please don't mess it up you should try listening to trudeau true listening to trudeau won't make you anxious it'll make you nauseous listening to him (laughs) is like um the the, yeah the the highlights are out there it was it was it was it was grotesque um i couldn't do it uh sydney may i read a few of course a few chats just yeah. to get tom tom qc says vouch defended child loving quite a few times now he also thinks it's yes. important to have the right oh, we're on contact. rumble so he defended pedos and he defended <laughs> pedos pedophiles that's what well, we, Robert, defended, we, we I, can say it on rumble it wasn't even it wasn't even in the question i think the question was was phrased nicely um uh, there was vouch one, loves pedos just i, so I i've child porn. I've seen him say things uh, on more than one occasion that I think are are, are indefensible. But uh, uh, hold on, there was there was a yeah. The guy's not that bright either. People have asked me to debate him, and I was like, uh, I don't I, I don't engage in dwarf tossing contest anymore. <laughs> you, you don't punch down. Yeah, he's an interesting interesting soul. I um I actually asked uh, the quartering the other day. We were chatting about this, um, and I said, who. Who name me like one female leftist YouTuber or 
streamer or something who is like comparable to these lads who is also attractive and we couldn't think of anybody we could think of a, not a single one of these women there's so many of these weird dudes though that are like walking around defending child porn and i just go like how how just how and how is this socially acceptable and how are there never ever any ramifications when they do it sydney it's the next it's and i'm not saying this to be glib or downplay gay rights period i fully support it's going to be the next letter on the uh, on the lettering because normalizing uh what do they call them maps minor attractive it's it's the next it's the next thing in the plus of uh but that's what i mean the group gays against groomers Mm -hmm. try to suspend their account yep uh because they don't want i mean uh the people that i know that are civil rights oriented in the gay community want nothing at all to do with pedophiles child abusers or anything else they they feel they have been caricatured by association with them over time Mm -hmm. so the uh but it it will but it's what the right said the right said if you don't draw a clear limit they're going to keep going keep going keep going and generally, it's a sign of a decaying culture and society to be celebrating things like trans and be open to things like child abuse. Uh, but these are just not popular. Concerts. Well, ch- ch- child and, and child transitioning, which is big these days. Sydney, which are is you, child abuse. It's it will, just called, it's, you know, they can call it, it whatever they want. When, when, are, when are they going to when are they going to make state laws at that level? But Sydney, well, are, Texas are, has in the health in the health and wealth, the welfare child custody unsurprising i've had a lot of experience dealing with the people in the child custody government child welfare space they're almost all bad i've met very few that are good uh they're they're statist uh they think the state should run families they couldn't distinguish between abusers and non-abusers they often targeted the wrong people repeatedly and routinely let the bad people off often and they're so enraged at texas order that they treat this biological uh, transition treatment as child abuse that many of them are quitting and others are refusing to enforce it and they're going to court trying to stop it from being enforced mm-hmm. so that that's the level of an, and we, we we have transitioned into insanity uh in in, in this space uh in my opinion mm-hmm. but speaking of disturbing things uh uh when i saw the quartering get shave his beard i, I was a little unsettled but the uh <laughs> Uh, but, but how is the quartering these days? He's good. He's good. He's plodding along. I know that his um, his coffee company is doing very well. Um, and I know he's thrilled about that, which I'm really happy for him because I know that he was really wanting to get that off the ground. Um, he's he's good. I honestly wish that he gave himself like a handlebar mustache and then he could have, you know, been a bamf. Yeah, it'd be more Milwaukee. He could, you know, that'd be Pabst. I mean, he's right in the Milwaukee area. Down, you know, the, you know, the, that would be very apropos. <laughs> Yeah, I know. He yeah, he would he would fit in if he did these sort of things. But I don't know, Jeremy just he just marches to the beat of his own drum. There's no telling him what will and won't look good. But I was like, maybe just like don't do that again. Maybe just let's just leave the beard intact, shall we? <laughs> well it's good. Have you ever been on Friday Night Tights yet? I have not. I have ah, not. that'd be good. That, yeah, that that's a fun show. Have you seen it at all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's they they've they've been lovely enough to um invite me on a couple of times. Gary has invited me on a couple of times, but it's just that until recently I didn't have a microphone that worked and I didn't know how to do any of this stuff because believe it or not, I am so technologically demented that I'm like, what am I doing? Ugh, and I need help. Like Jeremy at the quartering was the one who abused the crap out of me to even get any of this set up because he was like, let's live stream and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, dude. And he was like, okay, here's what you need to buy. He had to give me like an actual list and then he had to sit on the phone with me while I put everything together. Together. Yeah, you, you got you got the sure the M what is it sure MB seventy something or yes other? yeah M S M 
SMB looks like the same thing. By the way, uh, someone asked, uh, you mentioned the word gynocentric before, STFU underscore FFS, who used (laughs) the same name here as he did on on Rumble as on YouTube. says, feminism is decidedly not gynocentric. As a normal red-blooded dude, I'm gynocentric. At best, feminism is gynosupremacist with a streak of apostate phobia. Gynocentric means focused on the vagina, right? I'm not, I'm not misunderstanding that. Yeah, I mean, I mean it. Yeah, I think that's probably the official, the official, okay. the official definition. I mean it in the sense that where it's like female focused, like female centric, but gynocentric, just you know, it's the way that I've always described Australia. Um, but I, I mean, it depends on if if the, um, the individual who who said that is referring to feminism as a general rule. In which case, yeah, I mean, I would say that third wave feminism is a female superiority movement. But I, when I refer to Australia and I say that it's female centric or gynocentric, I just mean that it's very pro feminism and focus more on the female experience than the male experience. That's kind of just what I mean. I think there's a differentiation there. And before Robert gets his last question, I just want to read one more. Mrs. P. Please says, "Welcome, Viva and Sydney." A fifty dollar run. Aww. Um, Sydney, what are your plans for the near future? What are you tackling? What do you have coming out in the coming days, weeks? Well, I am currently working on a couple really disturbing videos about um, some child abuse <laughs> that's gone on and some uh, key players uh, that are quite high up in Hollywood and whatnot that have perpetrated it. Because I love covering things that do not get a lot of airtime. Um, and these are often the ones that don't. So I have those in the works and a couple other interesting videos that some of my followers suggested to me. Can you guys hear my dogs barking outside? I, 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 I heard someone coming into your room uh, earlier. Yeah, and they've then... been smashing on the doors and I wonder if they're too annoying, I can let them nope. in. No, let him, let him in. I want to see what, what okay. kind of dog you right, have. Hold on. hold on. We're going to have a dog off. Hold on. It's a dog off. Get over here. Oh, oh God. Let's see this. I'm sure there will be no comparison. There will be no competition. Oh, we got, we got, oh, that's a, an Irish setter. Two Irish setters. Well, those are beautiful dogs. Don't give the dog. Oh, so we got, we got, we got a cookie. Okay. Get out. Get out. Both of you. Take the dog and get out. Okay. Go, go, go. Don't drop him. So I look, Sydney. As far as dog dogs in the evolutionary scale go, those are dogs. We've got a lap dog. What's, what what breed do you have? We got a blind Westie and a paralyzed Puggle who has not come in here. But a those, Puggle. A, that's, yeah, a, that's a pug cross a, a beagle, isn't it? Yeah, pug and a beagle. Great great dog, but um, she's you know she's a. Those are beautiful dogs. Look at the coats on those dogs. There's a, there's a hierarchy in dogs, and those dogs are on the upper echelon of the canine hierarchy. Uh, if, if I may ask just for the names or, or the subject matter of the Hollywood, is it um, – I'm thinking of uh, not Corey Haim. Who's oh. Corey Feldman? Does it any, yes. any Okay. Is oh, it a, so I'm not, I'm not covering that, but um, so I'll, I'll give you an overview. I'm so sorry. Now, now, now we've done it. Now. I love, those, are, those are beautiful dogs. Fun, will you go away, please? Go do something else. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's not gonna I think, happen. I think he'll just stay here. Are you good? Okay. Um. So basically, I'll give you a bit of an overview. There's a there's a guy who wrote a show, or he's like the showrunner of um, a series called Riverdale. And I watched, and Riverdale's a terrible show. I think it was on CW, and it's also it was on Netflix. Maybe it's still on Netflix. 
And basically, the showrunner is one of the creepiest people, but he has so much, he has so many shows out there that he's worked on and so many things that he's done. And I was like, this person has to be exposed just because of the creepiness of a lot of his interactions, a lot of his dealings. Um, but he's not a well known figure. You would never know who he is. It's kind of like how nobody knew that Dan Schneider from Nickelodeon was a total creepo until all these ex, you know, uh, young women started coming out and going, yeah, he made me do this or he got drunk with us or he would get us drunk on this show. And it just all this creepy stuff. So I like talking about the people that no one knows about. And this Riverdale showrunner is exactly that. Are you? Okay. Oh, my God. Sorry. Don't worry. This this might be. The, Robert, do we have any um, end end of end of interview questions on locals? Uh, nope, that that covers it. So the uh, uh, where can uh, people find you? And do you have any uh, what's been your best white pill experience in this whole thing? My best white pill in politics? In, in, in or life. just cultural in, commentary experience, that this whole life experience that you've been through. Um, the biggest white pill, that is a great question. I would have to think about that. Um, you know what? I'll just give general life advice that's actually been very helpful to me. I used to be a sort like, I am a control freak. I'm a very type A human being. It has to be how it is. Otherwise, I am very unhappy. And what I've learned over the last little while is that life is going to go how it's going to go. And if I just take my foot off the brake and the accelerator and I roll with the punches, life is actually just a lot more enjoyable. That's, I think, been my biggest white pill is learning that... You don't have to micromanage and control everything life-wise. And if I don't do that, I'm actually a lot happier. Because it just, it just, it's going to happen how it's going to happen. All I control is, can, can control is myself. I guess that's sort of what the, the Stoics the, say. It's the, they? <laughs> it's the serenity prayer. Lord, give me the power to accept the things I can't change. Right. Change the things I can. I screwed it up. It, it's, and the wisdom to know the difference. And the wisdom to know the difference. Yep. It's a, yeah. It's a wonderful thing. Easier said than done for some. I was going to ask you your biggest black pill moment, but I don't think we need to oh. end on that. No, no. That would be learning about that experiment that happened in Germany where the children were placed in the homes of known pedophiles. And that happened with this, the Senate's approval for like 30 years. That was a black pill moment. Why don't, why don't people trust the government, Sydney? <laughs> I know. <laughs> just, wow. It's shocking. It's, it's an amazing thing. Like Germany has its own. Canada has its own. The United States has its own. It's always the government. And then they apologize for it 30 years later while telling you to shut yep. up and exactly. do what they're telling you to do now. Yes, 100%. Yeah, no, that that story, honestly, you both should look into it. It's one of the worst things I've ever read about. And that made me realize that all these imbeciles who were like, no, the government loves kids. It's trying to protect kids with all this gender stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah. Tell me more about that. That's really interesting. So, yeah, big black pill. All right. Well, we shouldn't have ended on that, but Sydney, this is fantastic. <laughs> let's let's do it again. At, let's do it again after after your next story's break. Uh, I'm looking at the chat. Chat's going too fast for me to even see. Uh, phenomenal. Thank you for coming on, Sydney. Let's do this again for sure. Thank you for, for having sure. me. Thank you for having me. It's been, this has been a lot of fun. Um, and you're both wonderful. And, you know, on a happy note, I will say thank you for complimenting my dogs because they are little turds who are going to now be relegated to outside for being little butts. But they are quite pretty and they're very the, soft. The, the chat was saying let, the, let them eat your fancy microphone. But uh, th those dogs... I, I don't know. Are Irish setters dumb or smart dogs? Uh, can two things be true at once? I was going to because... say. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Stick around. We'll say our proper goodbyes afterwards. Everyone in the chat, thank you for being here. Snip, clip, share away. And uh, I will put the links to Sydney's content on both YouTube and Rumble. And uh, we'll do this again. Mm -hmm.